North Shore, how are you? Good morning online. It is definitely uh, a Seattle morning, isn't it? <laughs> there you go. Good. And my prayer for all of you is that this will be life-giving because the difference of us Seattleites. So if you've moved recently, we don't let the rain stop us. In fact, we say bring it on, right? So if our hair is messy and matted down, that means life is good. Am I convincing you? I don't think so. I don't feel it. <laughs> well, I love you. As I uh, was preparing this message, you know, each week and getting ready and praying, uh, I, I came across a scripture in Ecclesiastes 4.9. It said the two are better than one. There is a great reward for their toil or for their work. And it made me think of you, us, North Shore, and this new series that we're in on vision. And I got excited. Just imagining of what we can do together and what God will do. I feel it's a promise he has for us, and there's amazing things in our future as we talk about this vision and coming together. So I'm excited. About the last month, we've been focusing in on our mission path. And our mission path, remember, is to pursue, to love, to serve, and to disciple. And we took closer looks at the mile marker one and mile marker two. Mile marker one is to passionately pursue Jesus, to follow, to seek out with all of our heart, the one and only that is worthy and can truly change everything. That's Jesus Christ. And we looked at a couple weeks of, I would think, tough teaching of radically, radically loving one another. And we were very intentional because I think it's biblical, that word radical. You know, Mark did a great job last week, and, and I'm hoping it stirred in us. And, and it should, right? Because that's what Jesus did when he put his feet on this earth. In a sense, he turned it upside down. And as believers today, followers of Jesus, with the power of the Holy Spirit, um, we should do no less than turn the world upside down with our radical love for one another. It should be noticeable. Anyway, Mark did a great job. I love the message. We're going to look at mile marker three. Okay, mile marker three. And that is to compassionately serve our neighbors. To compassionately serve our neighbors. And here's what's good. When we compassionately serve our neighbors, this becomes the actual vehicle that we carry uh, the hope that comes through Jesus Christ to our community. Uh, so I'm really, I'm excited about every section. I'm excited about most things. That's just who I am. Uh, but I'm excited to look closer at compassionately serving our neighbors. Now Jesus had a very direct, pointed teaching on what it means to compassionately serve our neighbors. And that is the parable of the Good Samaritan. So if you'll turn to Luke 10, Luke 10, and we're going to start in verse 25. And as you're turning to that, let me pray over us. Father God, we love you. And we come here to seek you and you only. So we ask that you'd speak to us through your word this morning. That you do a, a good work. You transform us more into your likeness so that we can truly be your hands and your feet and bring the change that comes through hope in Jesus Christ one person at a time. 
We love you and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So in Luke 10, verse 25, it starts there with Jesus being asked a question. Now, the question was being asked of him by a lawyer. And a lawyer is an expert in Jewish law. So this lawyer tries to kind of test Jesus. He says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Right, pretty big question. And Jesus says, okay, what do you think? You're smart, you know, you're learned. What do you think? And he says, well, love the Lord your God with all your soul, with your heart, mind, and your strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said, good job. You've answered correctly. Do that and you'll inherit eternal life. And to justify himself, the lawyer says, well, who's my neighbor? And he asked this, right? He asked this of him to confirm that he's, he got it right. And Jesus goes into this parable, the parable of the Good Samaritan. This is how he's going to answer Who is my neighbor? He says, there was a man walking from Jerusalem down to Jericho. And this road was known to be a very, very dangerous road. And as this man, assumed to be a Jew, was walking down this road, uh, he was robbed. He was stripped naked, beaten, and left for dead off to the side of the road. And then along comes a priest. And he sees him, and he stays on the other side of the road and keeps walking. And then a Levite, they're the people that help the priest, comes along and does the same thing. Stays on the other side of the road and walks right on by. And then a Samaritan comes along. He sees him. He goes to him. He bandages him up, takes care of him, puts him on his own animal, it says. Takes him down to an inn. Takes care of him, stays with him for the night, caring for him. Gets up in the morning and says, Take care of him to the innkeeper. Whatever cost, I will come back and I'll pay for it all. And Jesus asked the question Of the three, who's the neighbor? And the lawyer says, It's the one who showed mercy. Jesus says, yeah, go and do likewise. So if you look at this teaching, it is a very direct teaching of what it means to compassionately serve our neighbors. And there's an unlikely hero in this, a Samaritan. They are not the heroes in the Bible. I'm trying to think if ever. I'm sure there's some element there, but I can't think of one right now so you know. Very unlikely hero. So we can step in, dig deep to say, what does it mean? What can we learn about compassionately serving our neighbor? So let's look a little closer of what we can learn about compassionately serving our neighbor. So point A, compassion. Compassion. We're going to see compassion is the eyes of our heart. Listen to verse 33, Luke 10. 
But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, that's the man that was beaten, he says he had compassion. He had compassion. So what is compassion? According to Webster's Dictionary, compassion is sorrow for the sufferings or trouble of another, accompanied by an urge to help. So what compassion is, is you see suffering and pain in another person. Your eyes see it, you notice it, you read it. Somehow you are made aware of it. And you feel something deeply. Your heart is stirred in a deep, deep place. So deep that you are motivated to take action. That's what compassion is. So compassion, simply stated, is the eyes of our heart. It's the eyes of our heart. It's when our heart sees and is moved by another person's suffering and pain. Jesus had a heart full of compassion. Jesus saw through the eyes of his heart. Listen to these examples. In Matthew 9, we see Jesus going all through the land, teaching and proclaiming the gospel, and it says this, Matthew 9, 36, And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless. Luke 7. He came across a woman mourning. She was a widow, and her only son, the one that would take care of her, had died. And when Jesus saw her, he had compassion, it says. In both Jesus' mass feedings, in Matthew 14 and 15, both times, feeding the 5,000 Jewish people. It says when he saw them, he had compassion. The 4,000 Gentiles he fed. Same thing, when he saw them, he had compassion. This is the heart of Jesus. And we are called to have the same heart. Philippians 2. The same heart as Jesus we are called into. Colossians 3, 11, 12, just kind of gives us this picture of putting on like clothes. Put on, clothe yourself with compassionate hearts. And as I say that, I say, boy, that's, that reads easy, but it's tough. It is challenging. I know for me, I say my eyes and my heart, my compassion gets blurred and it gets cloudy. And one encounter that I have, many of us have, but for me that really becomes a place where I see my heart and see what my eyes are seeing is with panhandlers. Okay, before I tell you this story, I'm going to tell you what I believe to be true with panhandlers. Okay? This is the asterisk before my story. Is this, that there are institutions and organizations that understand the full dynamics of what it means to for that person, and it can serve them much better than I can. And my resources, my energy generally goes toward those 
institutions and organizations. Okay, you with me? Now let me talk about what happens sometimes with me. I'll see a panhandler, and I sense a bad heart within me. I'm just too busy to even care. I look the other way. I begin to have a critical spirit. I start reasoning why it's their fault. Judgment sets in. I'm so far away from Jesus and the compassion he calls me to at that moment. I can't even see Jesus in that moment. And when that happens, it happens too often. When it happens, that window will come down. I'll walk over. And I'd say I mutually give. Because in that moment, my heart needs checked. There's something off within me right there in that moment. And so when I give in that instant, I need it as much as that person might need it. Because my heart needs checked. Now, I don't know how you check your heart. How do you check your eyes for compassion? But we all need a heart tune-up. Because it's easy to drift. It's easy to drift. We watch the priest. We watch the Levite walk on by. Heart drift. You know they knew what God called them to be. And they walked right on by. And too often my heart drives right on by. We need a heart check. How do you check your heart for compassion? Let's keep going here. It's good. Good stuff. And serving. Serving. So we look at serving. Serving is compassion in action. If you look at verse 34 and 35 of what this Samaritan did. He had compassion, it says, and then this. He went to this man that was robbed. He went to him. He bound him up. I mean, just picture this. Picture this story. What's happening here? He bound him up. He put oil and wine to help him. And then took him and put him on his own animal. And I want you to get this picture. This is a naked man. How difficult that must be. Put him on this. And then took him down to the inn. And he gave two days wages. So think about what you make in a day. And give two days right there to someone you've never met. And most likely probably not even talking to at the moment. You're being stirred from something deep in in. Compassion. And then he came back. And paid it all. And if we know anything about medical costs, they've never been cheap, right? <laughs> Come on. Amen? He, he, he paid it all. Paid it all. So what happens is we need to serve, compassionately serve, it calls us to. But I want to do, and keep your place marked right now, I want you to turn to 1 Peter 4. I want to take a closer, closer look at serving. And two important aspects, we look at serving. So 1 Peter 4, and we're going to look at verse 10 and 11. A little deeper teaching on serving. And we're going to look at the power and the purpose in serving. Verse 10, 1 Peter 4. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Okay, here it goes. Each of you has received a gift from God. 
If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you've received a gift. And it's called a gift of the Holy Spirit. You can look it over Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12 to learn all about the teaching. And in that gift, it says that it's a precise gift for you to do the things God has you to do. You with me? You've been given by the Holy Spirit a precise gift to do the things that he has you to do. And we're promised with the Holy Spirit that we will be given power to do the things he has us do. We are promised to be given a new heart to do and be who he has us to be in our service. So we've been given these gifts, precise gifts, and this power and this heart to do the things God has us to do, to serve, it's called, to live out this compassion. And that ultimately propels us into the service and the places he has us to serve. I want you to think about, and you probably haven't seen it yet fully, but our mission path. And you've been hearing us for about a month and a half now talking about this. And a mistake could be made that this is a big to-do list for God. You know, to, to pursue him, to love, to serve and disciple. It's all the things that I've got to do to check off that I'm a good Christian. And nothing could be further from the truth. This list is not a to-do list. It's a to-be list. You with me? It's a to-be list. To be, it comes from devotion and not duty. It is an overflow. If you look at this, it's intentions. And if you read it with this in mind, you're going to see it's an overflow of pursuing Jesus. And then the Holy Spirit come and give us a power and new heart to overflow, to do the every, to love like Jesus would to serve like Jesus would, and ultimately to disciple like Jesus would. So in this, I want you to think of when you look at our mission, you think of your role in it and the things that God is calling you, the service he's calling you into, that in serving Jesus, you must be so that you can do. I do not want you to be busy doing on your own strength. You must be so you can do not do so that you can be. Did you catch that? So many people do, and they say, okay, I must be good. It's what the lawyer was falling into the trap with. Keep going here. The purpose in serving. Verse 11. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So the first thing we have to see is what is glorifying? The purpose of serving is to glorify God through Jesus Christ. And what glorifying means, it means to lift something up high, to the highest place, and to shine a light on it. Put it on center stage, put a big old spotlight and say, look, see. So for us, serving shines a light on Jesus. Serving shines a light on Jesus, first of all, for us. When you serve, is one of the times that you are just tuned into who Jesus is and what he would do. It's one of the most times that you are like Jesus and you feel him. I know all of you have served. 
And you know exactly what I'm talking about. It's better to give than to receive. Why? Because you get to really experience Jesus in that moment. There's a closeness you have with Jesus when you serve. Also for others, it shines a light on Jesus for others when you serve. When you serve somebody and they know and get that sense that you are serving them through Jesus, it's because Jesus that you are there, that you're caring for them. They come to a place that they feel seen. They feel known by Jesus. Like, look, he sent one of his messengers, one of his servants. Might be me, might be you. And they feel loved. They feel loved. And grab this, okay? It is when you see the most change in people's hearts and lives when you serve them like Jesus. Their hearts melt because they feel seen, known, cared for, and loved by Jesus. It's when our mission will come alive because people see Jesus through us, all around us. Okay, keep going. It also shines a light. When we serve, it shines a light on our hearts. Go back to Luke 10, okay? Back to Luke 10, verse 25. Give you just a second. Remember the question started with, the lawyer said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So that's the question on the table. This is an eternal life kind of question. And Jesus goes into this whole parable. And basically what he's saying is this, is when you serve, it is an evidence your heart has been transformed by Jesus. It shines a light in our hearts and where we are at. When you serve, you're seeing the eyes of your new heart. You're seeing through those eyes. And when you serve, you're giving what has been given to you. It means you understand. So I'm going to sum this piece up. Is when we serve from our relationship with Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit so that we and others will experience Jesus and therefore be changed. Not by our strength, not by our good works. Our good works have no power. Our service to the one who loves us because we do it through the Holy Spirit and have him radiate through us can change the world. You can change the world by being the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. Right? You with me? Through the power of the Holy Spirit. We keep going on. So Jesus now talks about the neighbor. So compassionately serving our neighbors. Now Jesus here, like he always does, is going to kind of spin this thing in a way that like, whoa, okay, that's different. Because the lawyer is asking Give me a name. Give me a person, right? Jesus is going to introduce him to what I call the new neighbor. The new neighbor. See, the lawyer's question is, who is my neighbor? The lawyer's understanding is this. He's a learned man, so he would know Hebrew, he would know Greek. And the Hebrew definition for neighbor is someone that's just physically close to you, okay? Oh, pretty simple, right? Okay, neighbor. The Greek meaning took it just a little deeper, close to you, but someone that you're associated with, that there's some sort of connection to. It could be family, friends, someone 
you know, you, you work with or whatever. Good enough. And so what the lawyer was asking is, hey, I kind of do that thing. He's trying to justify himself. He says, I'm good, right? I'm nice to the people around me, neighbors. Typically in the Hebrew and Greek word neighbor meant a fellow Jew. So I'm good with my fellow Jews, right? Meaning I'm going to inherit eternal life, right? And so he's opened the conversation and end right there. <laughs> but that's not our Jesus, is it? He always uh, takes things deeper. He gave a new understanding of what neighbor was. So remember, he gave him a picture of three people. The priest that walked by, the Levite that walked by, and then a Samaritan that went to him. Someone who compassionately served the hurt person. And Jesus asked him, okay, you've heard me say about these three? Who proved to be the neighbor? Who proved to be the neighbor? And the lawyer said in verse 37, the one who showed mercy, the one who acted on compassion, put action to the eyes of his heart. That is the neighbor, the new understanding. See, the lawyer asked for a, a person. Tell me a person. Jesus pointed out a practice, a practice. Understanding neighboring, not neighbor. Neighboring is having compassion, acting on it, and then crossing barriers, doing something about that compassion to serve another person in need. So let's take a closer look at what we learn about this new practice of crossing barriers, of neighboring. That's what it means to love your neighbors. When you understand what neighboring is, it's not a person. It's a mindset. It's a heart position. It's actions from that. So what we learn from the Samaritan about serving our neighbor, the barriers that we need to cross, the ones that he crossed, first of all, we see fear. The Samaritan was afraid of being hurt, taken advantage of in some way because it was commonplace to have ambush set up for someone to help somebody and they would come in and take the money from that person. So he was afraid. You know, for us, we're so afraid. I'm going to talk to myself right now. If this lands with you, then that would be the Holy Spirit. I'm so afraid of being used, taken advantage of. Oh, I just don't want to be used, you know. I don't know, you know, what to do. So this is going to be wasted money, time. We all have fears when it comes to crossing barriers to go and compassionately serve our neighbors. Here's another big one. Time. Time. The Samaritan stopped. Did he have time to do this? Let's assume something. No way. I don't think anyone has time. He was obviously going somewhere doing something. He made time. He spent the night caring. He was a great example of love showing up. Of love showing up. See, we were asked to give our most precious commodity. And this is a tough one to spend. Time. Our most precious commodity is time. And we've got to cross that barrier and step in. And this Samaritan, this neighbor, this neighboring person, 
didn't just throw a dollar and take off, did he? And it's mind-blowing that he gave a lot of time. It wasn't transactional, it was relational. He poured himself in. Then he overcame tensions. You know, there's differences. Mark last week did a great job of just kind of talking about the Jews and the Samaritans and all of the tensions that are there, the religious, the ethnic tensions, they're just there. And this Samaritan crossed that barrier. Crossed the barrier, even though there's different beliefs, behaviors, and practices, he went. Also, the tension of the difficulty. I mean, put yourself in this person's shoes, a Samaritan. A bloody, naked man that you think is dead. How many of you are crossing the road to go take care of that person? You kind of with me on this one? It's tough. It's challenging. So you will have to cross the barrier of your comfort. I have to cross the barrier of my comfort. If you're going to compassionately serve your neighbor, I'm going to promise you one thing. You're going to be uncomfortable. There's no two ways about it. Now, I believe you'll find comfort in Jesus Christ on the other side, but you got to go across that road. you got to get in that ditch. And the last thing I, I, I wrote and I saw in this story is crossing the barrier of treasures. Samaritan gave two-day wages. I mean, you could do the math. I, I, I said it earlier. Take what you make in two days and just go give it to somebody you've never met. Have no idea what they're going to do with it. Maybe that Jew in the ditch deserved a good beating. Maybe it's his fault. Gave two days wages. We were not told about any conversation of clarity. And then start adding up hotel fees, medical fees. He crossed the barrier of giving generously to compassionately serve his neighbor. So for us, we're going to have to be open-handed. If you're truly going to live like Jesus, you're going to have to be open-handed, sacrificial, generous with your resources, whether that are money, time, things. See, it's all yours. Use it for your kingdom, Jesus. Here I am, your servant, because you did that with me. You emptied yourself for me. So I'll do what you call me to do. And whatever you ask me to release, to serve, to compassionately serve my neighbor, I say yes. And we are commanded in verse 37 by Jesus to go and do likewise. You don't have to say it out loud. But think, I want you to say it in your mind. Go and do likewise. Wow. That's Jesus' heart for us. We have to cross barriers and compassionately serve our neighbors. So I want to talk about our opportunities to do that. And it starts with this. Our opportunity to compassionately serve our neighbors starts with your closest neighbor. That's your family. There's barriers in your home that you have to cross. They're probably relational. Some sort of heels dug in for pride. Could be a coworker, family member. My sister I haven't talked to in 20 years. My coworker who we will not even 
call or text each other anymore. Compassionately serve like Jesus does. says, you've got to cross the barrier. So I'm going to ask you three questions. The opportunities in my life, in our life, and think about those. Who do you need to serve by making time for them? Family, your friends, your coworkers, of giving and spending that precious resource of time. Who do you need to overcome tensions with so you can serve them? Not because they deserve it, because Jesus does. What do you need to part with to compassionately serve neighbors? Is it money? Is it possessions? Things to be more open-handed. It is all his, and you're not taking any of it with you. And I say that easily, but it isn't hard to live that out. <laughs> I just want it all till the right, right to the end, right? Now, what is he calling you to do? What is the Holy Spirit saying, this is what I want you to do to serve me, and I'll equip you? In my church, in our church, what are the opportunities here? Because we are called to compassionately serve our neighbors as a church. And people should know us by this. And so I want to start with something that the Lord is stirring in the hearts of our leadership as an opportunity. And that's something here, I don't know if online you can see that, called Peter's House. Because remember, Peter's House in Scripture is where Jesus stayed to go do his work, to proclaim the gospel in his community. That was Peter's house. So something that's been stirring in our hearts of our leaders as we look at our mission and our vision, what we are committed to is this, and hopefully you get what I'm calling you to, and it's biblical, so it's not just me. I think God is. We don't want cheap slogans and cool, trendy church statements. I'm not interested in that at all, and I hope you're not either. It's about action, stepping in. It's about bringing the hope through Jesus to our community. And our elders have been praying and talking about this. And something that we believe he's stirring in us is he wants us to be an everyday presence of the hope through Jesus in our community, to the working poor in our community. And so we're searching him. We're searching God's heart for this idea of Peter's house. Something that we could not be on this campus because we have a beautiful ministry here, an academy, and there's certain things that are not safe and not even legal that we can do here on a daily basis so that we could protect these kids. And, get, and there's a lot of kids that don't know the Lord that are here. So it's an amazing work that we're compassionately serving right here. But he wants us to go into the community and be there. And so we're praying, say, God, this idea is just bubbling in our hearts as leaders, as elders, and the pastoral team. And I want to invite you into praying with us. And they're going to talk about something, and you're going to have a chance to come up here uh, and be part of a prayer team. And pray so we can search God's heart together. Say, God, do you want us to compassionately serve our neighbors like this. We know he wants us to do it, and we will do it, right? But we'd be disobedient to the Lord. Is this what you want us to do? And we want to move collectively. We want to only do what Jesus has us to do and what the Holy Spirit empowers us to do. 
Not interested in massive list of just to do things. We want to be. I've asked our missions director to come up and talk about other opportunities to capacity serve our neighbors through North Shore. Nancy? I'm going to introduce local partners that we're in part, local, local individuals, organizations that we're in partnership with serving in our community. We'll have a representative at each one of the stations afterwards, uh, and you'll be directed about how to go about that. There's a half sheet at each station with prayer requests, contact information, and current updates. For those of you with us online, you also have opportunities to go to breakout rooms and talk with representatives for each of these ministries. Casino Road Ministries, their purpose is to give children and families on Casino Road hope by sharing the love of Christ through serving and mentoring. They currently have homework clubs two days a week. And the idea that God has given them in COVID is to deliver children's books to children's homes. The Lord's Little Cooker, every single Saturday, rain or shine, some folks meet in downtown Everett to provide a warm meal and some essential supplies to those in need. They've adopted to COVID by pre-packaging breakfast, social distancing, the serving line. They are accepting some donations, and they are also asking the Lord for committed volunteers. Again, all the info will be on your half sheet. Pregnancy Resource Center. The Pregnancy Resource Center comes along women and families with love and support through medical services, educational services, and a baby boutique. The clinic wants those who come to know life and the giver of life. Their services are provided at no charge for at-risk women in Snohomish County, more than half of whom are uninsured. The PRC is also accepting donations, and they have some volunteer openings as well. See their rep. Everett Gospel Mission. EGM provides a hot, nourishing meal, a warm shower, a dry bed, and often these things can lead to conversations. Conversations can then lead to, hey, are you interested in a recovery program? Which can possibly lead to a changed life forever off of the streets. EGM is currently in the middle of their People Change Here campaign in which they are raising funds for holiday meals. Amazingly, they provide a meal for $2.05 per person. Their in-person volunteer opportunities are suspended due to COVID, but there are other ways to be a part of it. So again, check it out and get your half sheet of paper. Habitat for Humanity, helping families build homes because homes play a critical role in strong, stable communities. The future homeowner is required to invest 500 hours of sweat equity prior to ownership, and the homeowners also must be willing and able to pay an affordable mortgage. There are plans underway to build more than 20 homes off of 112th Street in South Everett, but likely this isn't going to be happening for a year or so because they are waiting on uh, building plans, uh, civil plans to be approved. Volunteer opportunities are limited due to COVID, but we can all support that work through the Habitat stores. Check out the information on the half sheet. Again, on the half sheet, you've got specific prayer requests. Ministry partners just like us are tired. They have to be creative. They have to adapt. Remember them in your prayers. And they, too, need God's provision for their ministries as they have received financial implications as well. These are all partnerships. We accomplish more, usually, when we work together. And these folks have the expertise and experience in specific areas of ministry. 
And as we serve together, we do so remembering the heart of compassion that Jesus has called us to. That w- and we remember our own posture in the midst of it. We are all broken. And our relationship with God, self, others, and creation needs to be restored. And that's exactly what Jesus came to do. To bring peace, healing, and wholeness in all of life.